Welcome to CFO Insights, the leading podcast for finance professionals in disruptive tech, brought to you by the startup CFO community. I'm Guy Hutchinson, and I'm the host of the podcast, as well as being a tech CFO. In this episode, we're going to talk to Douglas Squirrel, a super experienced CTO. And yes, you heard that right. In this episode, we're talking about CTOs and CFOs and how close collaboration between the two can drive some incredible business results. Squirrel, as he likes to be known, focuses his work on developing high-performing tech leaders. He includes in this episode some remarkable stories from his tech career, and you might be surprised by the insight he brings, particularly on how he sees CTOs and CFOs delivering through working close partnership. Squirrel, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Glad to be here. Fantastic. Well, it's great that we've got you on. Uh, You're a well-known name in the tech space that you and I have occupied for many years. Uh, We hear about you a lot. You're a former CTO uh, and a well-known advisor and CTO sort of consultant uh, to a wide range of tech businesses. Uh, it'd be really interesting just to hear a little bit about your background and how you've reached the role that you're in now. And then we can talk a little bit about CTO, CFO collaborations. Sounds wonderful. And I'll just correct something. I, I don't only work with uh, CTOs. Um, that's certainly where I come from is the tech side of the business, but I coach CFOs, CEOs, um, CMOs, COOs, you name it. Um, if it's got a C in front of it, I, I coach and work with uh, with people who do that. Uh, and that's because tech touches so many parts of the business. Yeah, well, it's fantastic. You've expanded how you look at the business and see how kind of your value adds could be deployed. Uh, so how did you embark on your journey, right? What 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 were the trigger points for realizing the kind of value add that, that, that you could have as a CTO? Yep. Well, I was uh, CTO and VP engineering and that kind of role for donkey's ears, uh, f- 15 or 20. And um, I kept getting fired. And I kept getting fired in this really nice way because the CEO would come to me and say, Squirrel, you've built this amazing team and they're so much better than they used to be. We've got a good leader in place who's doing most of the work and the team knows what to do. And gee, there's not much for you to do anymore. And gosh, you're really expensive. So why don't you go be wonderful somewhere else? And it was a really nice um, complimentary uh, firing, but it happened over and over again. And then I said, hang on, maybe I should plan for this because also the time got shorter. So it got 10 years and then two years and then one year. And my, my tenure was getting shorter and shorter. And I thought maybe maybe what I'm actually doing is consulting. And, and that turned out to be true. So I started by doing uh, what you might call interim CTO roles where I'd work with one or two companies at a time for many, many months. But then that kept getting faster and I kept getting fired more quickly. But this time we'd planned for it, right? Because I was coming in to, to fix the team to address problems and then get out of the way. Uh, and now I've got that time down to typically six to eight weeks, uh, never really more than, than three months or a bit uh, over that. And my record is three weeks uh, with a very motivated person who knew what to do, did all the homework, met me every day, and we turned him around and uh, his IT function was completely different um, in, in that short time. So uh, the, the journey is uh, faster and faster transformations, and that's by getting, as you said, more in touch with the rest of the business because tech touches so much. And, and when I can get that broader perspective, such as by talking to the CFO in, in detail, uh, I get so much farther and so much uh, better results for the whole company. Yeah, and that's and that's really one of your themes, right? Which is the CTO 
is a business partner to everybody else in the C-suite. And that that's one of the ways that leaders in tech can drive value. It's, it's, it's the, the opposite of the siloed approach, which you do occasionally see. Oh, not occasionally. I see it all the time. And, and the very common phenomenon, I'm exaggerating, but uh, is, is for the CTO to kind of hide in the boardroom corner playing with Star Wars figurines and uh, everyone else is busy talking about business. And um, it, it's, uh, it, it's ridiculous that um, the uh, largest investment that your company is almost certainly making because technologists are so expensive and the uh, highest leverage activity, the thing that can turn around your business, move you uh, to, to insane levels of profit, is the one that's uh, siloed and, and left behind. That, that's, to be clear, often because the CTO doesn't want to do those sorts of things. The technical leaders much prefer um, bits and bytes and computers to, to humans and messy business problems. But uh, I, I drag them into the rest of the business and force them to interact. And, and yeah. then I help people in the rest of the business to work with them. Yeah. So on that topic about bringing a CTO into a mode where they're interacting a lot more with the business, is that on both sides of the fence? Do you have to work with both the CTO, but also with the wider organization to help to enable that 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 type of transition? Absolutely. So I'll give you just an example ripped from the headlines. I was um, coaching a CEO yesterday. So uh, it's a, one of my common situations is to be working with uh, two or three executives who need to work together better. So in this case, I'm helping him to work with his CTO more effectively. And he said, man, you know, Squirrel, I, I just can't get insights out of him. I can't get ideas. I can't get clarity from him. Uh, I, I keep telling him, tell me what's going on. And he never does. And what I coached him on was uh, listening in a different way um, by being curious about this guy's points of view, because this guy's the CTO's point of view is really different from the CEO's. They disagree about a lot of stuff. The CEO was worried that the CTO would um, uh, try to overrule him or that uh, he had to spend a huge amount of time kind of um, absorbing or convincing the, the CTO. I said, just listen to what you're hearing from technology. You don't have to agree with it. But when they have a view on uh, how sales is working, that doesn't mean you have to change your sales approach, but you might discover that there's a new way to do demos or that there's a better uh, way that technology could support and go along with uh, or do ride-alongs on sales calls. And, and that would be really valuable to get that idea out of your discussion. And so he said, oh, that's really interesting. He wrote me this morning and said, boy, this has been really eye-opening. I got a bunch of new ideas. I don't agree with him on lots of things, but um, and uh, but I, I could still be efficient in interacting with him. But by being more curious, I got a much better result. Now, that's true of almost any executive and almost any relationship, but it's particularly true of technologists because we love talking to computers. So you have to be a little more... Um, energetic with us uh, to get us out of our shells and and get us telling you our views. But yeah. they're usually so well-informed and so different from, say, how a, a head of marketing or, or a head of customer service might look at the world, that getting those different perspectives to the CEO really is valuable for generating new and better ideas. Yeah, that that's a fascinating story. I have to say, it's always struck me as remarkable how much effort goes into business people in improving, say, their public speaking or their presenting and how little effort goes into improving how they listen. 
Because if you exactly. think about it, for somebody to be speaking, there's got to be 10 people listening. And so the, the, the dynamic is the other way. There's more listening than speaking, right? And I'm coaching people on that all the time. Of course, also coaching the technical leaders to do that because um, we, we tend to, to think of the world in black and white and say, well, there's some facts here and I don't need to listen to some different facts. I, I just need to make sure everybody knows what the facts are. And I remind them that uh, not everyone sees those facts the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the CTO CFO collaboration, because that that that's what's really interesting in terms of our our listenership at Startup CFO as part of our podcast. Of uh, course, have there been like like was there a moment where you thought there's a great example, there's the light bulb moment as to why the CTO CFO collaboration has a certain special quality? Um, well, there's been a couple. So um, one, I remember uh, I, I needed to build up. A, um, a a good relationship when I was the CTO of an e-commerce company with the the finance department as a whole, but especially the CFO, because things that we did massively affected costs in the warehouse, um, the amount of time that um, uh, items remained uh, on the loading dock rather than be going out to customers and things like that. So bugs and problems and and new features that we could could introduce would um, positively or negatively hit the margin very quickly. And gosh, an e-commerce company really cares about margin. So uh, when I, I built up that relationship, I was really grateful for it when we had probably one of the worst bugs I've ever seen in my career. Uh, we had um, uh, items that were for sale that were um, over a thousand pounds. And when our system was designed, no one, we weren't selling things that expensive. And so uh, the system was not ready for the comma that appeared between the one or the two or the three and the rest of the number. And um, the result of it being confused by that was that it charged only one pound or two pounds or three pounds for a 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 pound item. Uh, this made some extremely happy customers, but some very uh, unhappy finance people. And being able to collaborate with the CFO on identifying those quickly, um, uh, understanding the importance of uh, acting on this and uh, dealing with it was uh, extremely helpful. Um, mysteriously, uh, many of those items were uh, suddenly out of stock in the warehouse, so we, we, we did not actually sell them for one pound. Um, but then the, the great part of the story is that the marketing folks got wind of this, and they thought it was so wonderful that they made us build a feature so that randomly one item on the site would be one pound, and then they went around telling everybody to, get, to go find the one pound item every day. Nice. So it, it turned out to be a, a, a source of a good idea for uh, for a new for a new marketing campaign, but yeah, yeah, it that's was because cool. because I could just walk over to the CFO and say, okay, we've had this problem, and and I knew he wouldn't blow up because we had trust together, and we knew what sorts of things the system could and couldn't do, and uh, we could work very quickly together on um, identifying where the problem was and how to address it, and that was a real turnaround for me and my thinking about um, the value of finance folks. They weren't just paying our salaries and uh, um, dealing with invoices. Uh, they were uh, really making a big difference for the, the business with our help um, building the features and getting the data that the, that the finance folks needed. Yeah, that's a fantastic story. Uh, the, the one that I hear a lot, it's probably more relates to a sort of up and coming head of finance, maybe in their first startup. Mm. Um, the one that I hear a lot is typically they arrive in the company, they need to build a budget. The tech leaders fed in the people that they think they need for next year into the CEO. The CEO says, right, my tech person's asked for these 
I don't know, 30 people yep. go and see if that will work in the budget. Uh, and three weeks later, after lots of other inputs have gone in, uh, the finance person comes back and says, well, I think it can probably only be 20 unless the cash burn takes us to minimal runway. Uh, mm -hmm. So the 30 becomes 20. And the problem with all of that is that that unfortunately sets the framework for the interaction between the two, which is that the CTO believes they've got to inflate their requirements in order to get the post-budgeting restricted version that goes into reality uh and that's not really a collaboration that's um essentially like a weird gaming exercise well and, and i call it arm wrestling right because all, all you do is you say i want this and the other person says i want that and whoever can push harder wins and, and that is just not a successful interaction at all i always say if, if the only time the cto and the cfo talk is when they're uh discussing budget you're already screwed you need to do something so that there's a, a significant trust relationship. There's co common uh, problems that they're working on together and a lot of interaction so that when the CFO comes back and says, look, I, I've got this revenue hole. Uh, I can't get enough revenue to support the 20, the, the 30 that you want. The CTO doesn't just say, well, I'm going to get 30. I'm going to the CEO. The C CTO says, well, how could we drive more revenue? What, what could we do that would shift what those 30 people work on so that it creates the revenue in the time scale that you need it to fit into this budget? And that collaboration is not arm wrestling. That's much more productive. Yeah, it's a great example, Squirrel. That really is. And one thing that I've always thought is if you really think about the makeup, the, the profile of the person that becomes a CTO or a CFO, they're actually relatively similar. Like these are people that like things to be relatively black and white. They like certainty. They are logical uh, problem solvers by nature. Uh, and so they're actually relatively sort of kindred spirits. And so I've always thought they're two of the C-suite profiles that really ought to naturally find a way to operate together in a very collaborative manner. And yet it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, well, there's two things that I always think of that are just are so much in common between the two and are often a good place for starting to to build trust. That first first is we we all love numbers, right? So us techies, we 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 deal in numbers and not only zeros and ones, but all the other numbers. And and adding things up and getting an answer is something we're we're very good at. Something that, for example, the head of sales or or marketing is is probably not so good at. So uh, we we can have a, a really good efficient discussion about um, uh, uh, cost reductions and what the percentages could be and what effects that will have. And you don't have to worry that that we, uh, technologists won't won't understand. Um, and the other thing, which I think is even more important and a place for a real alliance to develop between the two, is that there are really two places in a business where you can't fantasize. One is with your bank account. All right. Your, your banker is not going to say, oh, yes, well, I, I think actually, you know, this sale is going to close eventually uh, magically somehow. And so, uh, yeah, you, you can use a little more money. The banker says you don't have the money. Your check bounces. And the other place where it falls down, of course, is when you're actually giving services to customers. And um, in, in uh, most businesses, there's a tech element, at least, to the service to customers. There's payments being taken. There's a website that's running. There's um, uh, reports or emails or something being delivered. Whatever you're doing interacts with technology at some point. So uh, the fantasy, oh, yes, they'll love this feature or um, this, um, uh, uh, this, this change will increase conversion rate. It, it kind of stops at, at, at technology when when uh, so other people can kind of fool themselves. But when you're actually out there 
sending things over the wire. Either they get there or they don't. Either people make a payment to you or they don't. And, and so there's this similar um, reality check that um, CFOs and CTOs regularly have to, to, to give. And wouldn't it be great if they could give the reality check together? Hey, folks, we've had a look at the new initiative to go into uh, this new market and uh, got to say that um, not only uh, is usage down, but payments are down. This suggests that maybe this initiative wasn't a great idea and we should go for a different market. It would be uh, really helpful uh, uh, if, if the CTO and CFO were giving that message together as allies. Far too often, um, they're, they're coming up with the same the two pieces of the, uh, of the puzzle and, and not presenting it together. Yeah, and, and how do you advocate for building a culture in an organization that allows that type of collaborative sort of reality check? Because a lot of organizations won't naturally end up there, right? They, they, they need to uh, consciously build that and build that mindset and build those behaviors. How do you advocate for something like that? Well, uh, that example I was citing earlier is a, is a good one. Um, the, the general concept that's important here is one due to Amy Edmondson. It's called psychological safety. And um, the, the idea is that um, by being curious and uh, entertaining views that don't agree with your own, you create an environment in which people can report errors and they feel safe about that. They don't feel that they'll get fired for it. And uh, if you'll permit me, there's a great story about how Edmondson came up with this. Uh, she was studying uh, nurses uh, and how they performed in the National Health Service here in Britain. And she uh, wanted to study the good ones. So she said, I'm going to go to the ones that report very few errors, that, that don't give people the wrong medicine, that don't accidentally uh, inject people with the wrong thing or take them to the wrong operating theater. I'll go to those and I'll see what they do and I'll tell everybody. And uh, she went to those and they actually weren't performing very well. And the ones that had more errors, they were actually doing better when she actually measured them on all kinds of other things. And she was confused by that. And she went and uh, thought about it for a while. And what she figured out was that um, in some nursing uh, organizations, reporting that you had almost accidentally given the, the blue pills to Mr. Jones instead of the red pills um, didn't uh, have good consequences. It meant you got in trouble or your pay doctor fired or something. And so people didn't report it. And that meant they kept the blue pills right next to the red pills and continued to give the, the wrong, the, run the risk of running, giving the patient the wrong medicine. In other nursing organizations, it was safe. It was comfortable. People were curious when you, they reported an error. They weren't um, vindictive. And so because no one was shut down, people would report, hey, you know, I, I noticed that uh, we've mixed up these charts two times. Uh, should we maybe make them different colors? Uh, and that would lead to improvements in the process and improvements in the in the company. That's a brilliant business story. And it really indicates that actually the there's a correlation between high-performing individuals and an inclination towards transparency and the process improvements that come from being completely transparent. And I think that would resonate with CFOs whose primary responsibility is to share the numbers, to bring out the commentary, to make sure that the wider business understands what's actually happening financially. Absolutely. And uh, it, 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 neither technologists nor CFOs are served by um, hiding information, by um, keep, keeping things under wraps. And so if you're, for example, a CEO and you want to encourage uh, better collaboration, best thing you can do is what I was telling that CEO earlier. Be as curious as you can, encourage um, different points of view and um, even if you don't agree with them or don't act on them, they're going to give you uh, information that you can work on, you, know, you can use.
uh, unfortunately, far too many folks uh, want want to be um, unreasonably efficient. And uh, in their quest for being super efficient, they say, well, let's just do it my way. I'm sure I'm right. And um, unfortunately, that efficiency uh, backfires in the very, very short term. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I've 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 certainly seen that. Uh, so going back to the profit center point, right? Tech as a profit center, right? that that makes a huge amount of sense. I feel sure that as tech businesses mature to become scale ups, in the majority of cases, that that transition does happen in the end. Uh, but there's quite a lot of ways to go about doing that. And 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 one of the examples that that, that I would use would be, you could have tech building a new feature that sits in the product. Sales are excited about being able to sell the new feature and think that their sales conversion will go from, I don't know, 20% to say 25%, and that would give you an uptick in revenue. Uh, so, so I've seen people try to justify, hey, look, text building X, and then X feeds into the sales machine that feeds into more revenue. But the other thing I've seen, particularly the last five years in SaaS, is more of a, uh, a less overt connection where perhaps they'd say, hey, look, we're going to make a price change on the 1st of May. We want to ship as many new features of various types as we can around about that time to help to justify the price change. But whether we've got five new features or three new features, whether the customers love them or just think they're kind of okay, we're going to make the price change anyway, which is a much more assertive change in the revenue profile. Uh, and I'm just wondering, like, how how have you worked with some of your client businesses to think about the different ways to build a profit center mindset? Man, I, I certainly wouldn't want to make an arbitrary price change and, and justify it through tech. There might be a really good reason, you know, we're going to... Um, uh, go up against um, uh, tougher competitors, so we're going to to make a price change to make ourselves look better. Uh, we're going to get more higher powered salespeople. We're going into a new market. There's lots of reasons why you might uh, increase your price that's not technological, but then leave tech out of it because you're you're not really um, thinking. Uh, you're you're not really using tech as the lever. If you want um, a, a technology to actually drive your profit, which is what I always advocate. Technology is is such a, a huge multiplier um, because when you when you do ship a feature and it does make a huge difference, it doesn't cost you anything practically. There's almost zero cost to deliver that feature to lots more people. So uh, it's like a money machine. But uh, so many folks um, uh, think of it as more uh, a grocery store. You know, I'm just going to shop for one of these and one of these and one of those. And um, uh, the connection to business behavior to changes in costs or changes in uh, revenue or uh, uh, opening new markets or, or uh, customer behavior, the, the connection to that is lost. And, and that's where I think um, uh, lots of businesses fall down. And, and they, they come to think eventually of their IT or their technology as um, sort of a fixed cost. Well, we're just going to need to do this stuff and we can't really change it. And these folks are expensive, and that's just what they do to, in order for us to run a website. And then if we want to actually move the needle on any of our other stuff, um, we're, we're not going to talk to them. We're, we're not going to try to get the conversion rate up by using their skills. And, and often that's because they somebody's been burnt before and they've tried, and the technologists had no clue what they were talking about. And um, uh, that's, that isn't a signal that you shouldn't try. That's a signal that you need more listening and more curiosity and more education for the technology team to understand precisely how things they do can impact um, uh, outcomes for the business. And that's what I uh, coach people all the time in, in doing. 
Yeah, and 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 where does product sit in this? Like, what, what what's the vision for product in terms of uh, trying to capture the 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 unmet need in the base of customers uh, and making sure that the 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 the, the greatest value um, add is generated in the thing that tech works on that next. Well, of course, that's what the pro- people with the title product manager and so on do. Um, sadly, a, a, an increasing number of businesses I encounter don't even have somebody like that. They they rely on the uh, the engineers to do it, and we're we're generally not that good at it. But I count the product and technology and design and data science and all those folks. I count them all as technology people, and um, typically want to see them under one or two. Uh, C-suite um, executive level people that others can interact with in the way we've been talking about. The the product folks are, of course, the ones who can do the best translation. That's the ones who, uh, the, they're sort of the ambassadors from the, the engineers, and they, they should speak a little bit more business language. Sadly, they're too often order takers. And what they'll do is come along and, and write down very, very carefully what someone has asked them to do and explain that very, very carefully to engineers who then go and build exactly what's on the piece of paper, which is not at all what customers want. And a much better process for that is to have continuous interaction with the customers and to be testing and validating what you're building very, very frequently. And engineers actually know how to do this. Technology has been doing this for for a very, very long time. But the concept of releasing new software every single day doesn't seem to have got to many people. (laughs) So I have to teach them a lot about it. Uh, I'm just taking that up with a um, long established um, uh, uh, technology business uh, that um, that really has lost its way a bit and um, takes months and months and months to release new features and to change things and to see whether those increase conversion rate, change customer behavior, uh, open new markets. They, they wait months to find that out. That Their technologists know exactly how to do it multiple times a day. So uh, that's what I'm helping them to shift to is uh, making that transition to um, very fast feedback, which then lets you connect what you're doing in technology to uh, real business outcomes. So that's really to go back to your point around making sure that the business is curious, that people are listening and understanding, and there's some process to, to, to justify what can be shipped so that ideally what, what is being shipped is going to drive lots of value. And accountability for it. So the ideal situation is that the the technology folks have agreed with the CFO, probably as the primary person who knows exactly what levers to pull and what things can move the the, the key metrics for the business. And, and also, of course, with the rest of the executive team on, on what they're going to do and what results it will have. And so uh, it's the technology folks who should be coming back and saying, we, we tried three experiments last week. One of them tanked conversion rate. Nobody liked it. They were all confused by it. And uh, we yanked it after after two hours. Um, we, we made another change, which really didn't make much difference to conversion rate. We asked a few users and they said it was interesting, but not worth pursuing. And then we tried another one on Friday and conversion rates through the roof. You know, we've got an increase of 2% with the people who've seen that. So we're rolling that out to more people. Just imagine if you were having that conversation with your technology team, what could you do with that information and what could you do to give them more resources, more opportunities, more input that would help them to, to run that loop even faster? Uh, that's the sort of thing that is possible, but far um, too often left on the table because you don't have this um, high value, frequent co- collaboration uh, among the, the C-suite, especially CFO and CTO. Yeah, and 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 that's why you see there's there's a way for the CTO and the CFO to have like regular meetings, even outside of the exec meeting where 
There's... Oh, please, yes. If you only talk at the exam or something, you're screwed. Don't do that. Yeah, and 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 that that one of the elements of that meeting. I mean, it's not just to understand what each other's working on, but clearly there's this sort of um, accountability framework where there's some accountabilities in the CTO silo that that need to be shared with the CFO, so that person can get their head around what what's going on and how the spend is justified, and then vice versa. The CFO who's probably got a more holistic understanding as to what's happening in the business now and what they think will happen in the next 6, 12, 18 months. Uh, there's, there's, there's that accountability in the other direction. Like, how do you see the ideal CFO-CTO meeting panning out? Oh, well, certainly each being accountable to the other in that way. I remember the, the e-commerce business I mentioned previously. There were so many times when uh, the CFO would tell me that there were uh, trading conditions changing, that there were new opportunities, new products coming. We were a flash sales business, so we were turning over 4,000 new products every week. The, the warehouse was a very busy, uh, chaotic place, but we were selling huge amounts of products. And um, uh, the, the CFO could tell us about incoming uh, deals, um, changes to demand, um, uh, marketing initiatives. The CFO had his fingers in, in all the pies that were really relevant to me as a CTO so that I could react and um, make sure that the, the services were in place, the tools were in place for the marketers and customer service and everyone else to actually sell the products. So that kind of accountability from the CFO to me, uh, informing me about what was happening was um, invaluable, made, made me much more uh, responsive to, to what the business needed. All of this is incredible, right? So many great examples. Uh, I think that the thing that would be fascinating is if you've got somebody who is, they might be CFO, they might be head of finance, but they they know there's some work needed in this area. Like, Which are the three takeaways that, that, that they could go and do in the office tomorrow? Well, so the first one is just talk to the CTO uh, much more frequently than you do today, and, and really all the engineers, but focus on uh, technical leaders who need your perspective. They need to hear what's happening in the rest of the business, as I was illustrating with my e-commerce example. When uh, you, you have that information as a technologist, it's gold. They may not, the technology folks may not know what to do with it and may need some help. And that comes to the second point, which is both parties can be excellent translators for each other. The, the um, finance information is often kind of abstruse, hard for anyone else to follow. We don't know how to read a balance sheet or an income statement, but you do. And you can explain to us what kinds of impacts the, the actions we take can have. And for example, if you say uh, we're getting far too many complaints from customers, uh, it's leading to churn. And the effect of churn is that our revenue dips and our reputation dips. And here's what happens to us. If you can put that in, in um, uh, non-financial language for us, it helps a lot. Similarly, if we can explain hang on, if we undertake this new initiative, the return on investment for uh, changing this feature or updating this um, piece of software is this amount over this time. And uh, here's how it will show up in your budget. If we can translate for you, that will help you enormously to, for example, fund additional investment or work out that a new market isn't worth it or, or something else. So the second one is, is be a translator both, both directions. 
And the third one is to think in terms of bets. Now, CFOs, I think, are a little more naturally inclined this way, so you may need to help the technologists more. Um, but um, uh, uh, once you explain it in terms of probabilities and um, uh, likelihood and um, uh, the, the risk that someone might take and how you might uh, account for that risk, is this high risk? Is this one with a near-term impact? Uh, and those sorts of things. Often CFOs are very close to, to, to thinking about risk. If you can think about technology changes in terms of bets and work with the CTO to, to determine which bets are likely to pay off in what time with what benefits the rest of the organization and what do we need to account for to allow those bets to be successful, to give them a, a fair shot, you're, you're going to have um, a, a very helpful uh, uh, collaborative uh, relationship and you're going to be able to t make many more bets and uh, manage your risk much more effectively. Yeah, that, that's that's fantastic input. I, th I think anybody with a senior finance career and a VC-backed business, they, they're very acutely aware that you are inside one enormous bet, placing a series of other bets, many of which will not actually come off. And uh, that does become a real skill. And, and, and uh, I think you're the first person I've ever heard describe uh, the interactions where you need to be an excellent translator for the other person and i think that's a brilliant way of thinking about it because it, it it again puts the onus on listening and understanding and being curious because it's your job to translate what's happening in the other person's world i think that's a fantastic way of viewing those key relationships and squirrel um you know we could talk about this stuff all day it's um super super fascinating it's a great topic if people wanted to reach out to you or to follow the kind of things you're working on how would they go about doing that so uh, they can certainly just find me individually at douglassquirrel.com. But I think the thing that would be most interesting to this audience, to your listeners, is uh, my community of uh, thousands of tech and non-tech people together in one community called the Squirrel Squadron. And uh, we're uh, constantly discussing, you know, while you and I are chatting here, there are people on my forum talking about uh, conversion rate and um uh, uh, how to um, make sure their tech investment really pays off and how to measure their tech teams. Those are the sorts of things that um, you could, um, uh, you and your listeners could uh, learn about and work with uh, and practice uh, interacting with uh, technology people and non-technology people around the world. So uh, squirrelsquadron.com is the place to find that. Um, interestingly, I'm doing an event quite soon. I do these events every week. They're free activities, um, free live streams and, and Zoom calls. And I'm doing one that's actually on CTO and CFO collaboration, why they should be best friends forever. So if you head on over to squirrelsquadron.com, uh, uh, sign up for that. It's free. It'll be online. Um, and uh, if you can't make it on that day, you can always check the recording. So um, uh, I do all these things to give back because I've had such a wonderful consulting career so far and look forward to working with hundreds more organizations. And if I can give back and keep a community going so we're all learning together and CTOs and CFOs and everyone else can learn from each other uh, uh, effectively, uh, then I'll be a very happy person. So uh, that, that's the best place to find me, squirrelsquadron.com. Brilliant. Those are worthy goals, Squirrel, for sure. So it sounds like any active member of Startup CFO, if they've got an opposite in the tech world uh, and they're not already in Squirrel Squadron, they probably should be. Uh, that's uh, something to take away from this. Douglas Squirrel, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Brilliant conversation. I've learned a huge amount. Thank you very much for being our guest. Thank you. You were listening to CFO Insights brought to you by Startup CFO. 
you're a finance professional working in disruptive tech and would like to join our global network, visit our website, startupcfo.tech, to learn more. This podcast was part of our CFO Insights series of discussions. And if you want to learn more about the Startup CFO Group, follow us on LinkedIn to learn more about our community and the upcoming events. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast.